Yeah, what did I miss? What were you guys talking about? Oh, we were just talking about how the news is crazy all the time, and normal people can't even like remember who people are. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's it's really it's really tough. <laughs> well, and even if you are completely online, it's hard to keep up with everything. Like I'm completely lost on the elaborate this byzantine thing going on with like the Mueller probe and russia collusion and stuff oh. um, i know some of that is just conspiracy theorizing but some of it does sound pretty complicated and i just can't i don't have the ram to keep up with it so like the the hell dude actually posted a link to a crystal is article which he apologized for posting a link to a crystal <laughs> <laughs> was it wait was the article like 43 insane quotes from trump's last press conference no it was just like seven <laughs> facts about the, the Mueller probe and it was like you know sometimes you just need like the simplest mind to observe something and then draw like all of the true concrete things from it with like none of the nuance like you need somebody with a mind like crystal is a to be able to be like, this is the real thing. Yeah. And then it's like, well, what about these two things connecting? And like, he doesn't see the connections like everybody right, else yeah. does. He can just see yeah, like... His, his, brain, his brain is like exactly as much information as he could write on a cue ball with a dry erase marker. Yes. You know? And like, that's what I needed. <laughs> I don't know what's real and what's not. And like, he was able to see through all of it. Yeah, I mean, Trump cracked the code. I mean, he he realized that if people, if he did a complicated shenanigan, that people would be like, I'm checked out. It's too, it's, I can't even keep track of all these crazy people. Right. Like, you got Amorosa up in there. You got crazy lawyers. Did he realize that? Or is that figures? just like, yeah. like the compatibility of like the business <laughs> no, world moving into a political sphere? Like they can just do crimes yeah. all the time. That's just his life. That's how it is. <laughs> It's it's true. It wasn't intentional, but he lucked into it for sure. Right. Well, which is what is ending up being such a big problem for all these people because all of his all of these cronies were like, "This is going to be a great grift. We're going to be able to, you know, like beef up. Uh, like his popularity will go up. Therefore, we'll get more business or whatever." Never expecting that he would actually be elected president. And now it's like, oh, now they're like federal oversight agencies, like looking into your business dealings. And um, hey, I, I can't keep track of the subpoenas either. But you know that, you know, so many people have flipped on him at this point for exactly that reason. It's like, well, I never really expected to have to testify before a congressional committee. Right. And like all of those people are going to. But at some point, like. Like, Donald Trump is going to be subpoenaed, right? What yeah. if he just doesn't go? Well, he already filled out the questionnaire. <laughs> he filled out, like, the essays or whatever. He did, <laughs> right. this, he did the scantron. Right. And then he turned it in, and then they were like, oh, this is full of lies. And then he was like, well, you didn't tell me it was, right. so this he's... was for a grade. You know, this I thought this was a practice test. He's going to have to go, like, <laughs> testify at a place, though. Like, he's going to be subpoenaed to go talk to, like, a judge. Oh, and, it's going to be fantastic. But, well, I mean, but or, my thing is that or like, they'll try to do that, and then it'll go to the Supreme Court, and they'll be like, nah, well, <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah, but, That's Donald Trump. You can't tell what to do. But somewhere along That's the Trump's line, turn. like, somewhere along the line, like, somebody's going to ask him, like, like, dude, you have to show up to, like, either Congress, or you have to come before this judge, or whatever, whatever. And, like, yeah, that's if he just says no, like, how is that going to be enforced is my thing. Like, he... Oh, I'm yeah, I, 
I fully expect him to do a like an Andrew Jackson. Like, yeah. okay, they can come get me. Like, where's where's their where are their police at? Where's their Secret Service? Yeah. Yeah, I think all of the like gun rights activists are gonna be like, "Come with us, sir. Uh, this is <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> this is time to march." No, it's not. Well, sure. Happen. I mean, the the main thing that they're concerned about is government tyranny, right? So, <laughs> of course, they would want to remove an autocrat from office. <laughs> Welcome back to the Liquid Flannel Podcast from Arlington, Texas. I'm Matthew Hodges, joined from Omaha, Nebraska, by my very good friend, Brendan Williams. Brendan, um, I got nothing. What's what's up with you? Oh, I'm here to plead guilty to being on a podcast again. That's true. Uh, something that very few leftist men are innocent of in this <laughs> day and age. That's true. Well... At least tonight, it's not just me and you, because we're joined by uh, an old Twitter chum, uh, very good friend, Melly. Melly from online. You know her if you're online. Hi, okay. Melly. Thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Glad yeah, no, here. it's oh, it's it's great. We've been talking about this for a couple of months. I'm glad it finally worked out. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to I wanted to start off with you. So you're you're considered there are very few women who occupy this post and it seems to be a very uh revered post a very reverent post um you are one of the twitter moms i am yeah i have many sons (laughs) sons and daughters (laughs) yeah that's correct Mm -hmm. um sometimes the kids just need guidance so <laughs> they absolutely do. Actually, like this is kind of funny. Like um, one of my Twitter sons, Lance, um, he like he followed me for a while um, when he was in high school and he wanted, you know, some advice about organizing um, for DSA. It is like high school chapter. Um, and he went he went to the high school that I used to go to. And then like. Um, now he like volunteers with me at my job and like, I help him with his homework in college and he's like my in real life friend. Um, (laughs) and like during the election and stuff, um, he would come and like, uh, like help, help out in canvas. He's like, you know, um, he's shown up to a couple of events to just help me out with like logistical stuff a couple of times. And everybody thinks that he's really my son. Like, <laughs> it's awesome. Keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. Don't stop. Yeah. This, this like 18 year old kid is definitely mine. Um, I had a, I had a child at a very young age. Um, <laughs> but my, my wife does daycare and she has uh, a kid, kids that are three months apart. And when she like goes out to the grocery store and stuff, people get extremely confused because they just assume they're like her biological children and they're like wait what like, what? <laughs> i don't how did you do, how did you do that it's the magic Pause, of pregnancy baby. listen yeah. <laughs> it's like well we're irish so you know it, it just happens <laughs> well i think it's cool because uh yeah you were you were often a voice of reason on 
a lot of the issues that people kind of kind of tend to get wound up about on right. Twitter. It's a it's a good service that you do. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I don't see how <laughs> I actually do that. I mostly just tell people to stop. Um, I, I think that's what most people need. Speaking <laughs> right. of people who need to be told to stop, that's actually an amazing segue into, I think, probably the, the biggest thing that everyone's going to be talking about for the next two days until something equally ludicrous happens. But uh, Laura Loomer, extremely not online Laura Loomer <laughs> and her, and her protest today outside of Twitter headquarters in New York City. <coughs> now I'm sure people saw this. If you're if you're listening to our show, you're online enough to know when literally everybody that we interact with is talking about a thing. Um, Laura Loomer, who she used to work for, the Daily Beast, I think that's right. Did she? No, she used to work for Breitbart. No, that's too legit. She used to write hmm. for Breitbart. Yeah, she was like Breitbart reporter. Okay, she's she's most famous, I think, for being one of the people. Who like stormed the Central Park production of like a Caesar or whatever? Yeah, it was that, like, uh, it was Julius. It was, it was Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. That's right. Uh, and they they have this kind of tradition of like uh, doing it like as a slightly political thing. Like when Obama was president, they had like an Obama esque guy play Caesar, and then right. when Trump was president, they had a Trumpy kind of guy play Caesar, just to be like, oh yeah, this is still relevant, you know. Uh, but she stormed the uh, stage and was like, this is hate speech against, you know, conservatives or whatever. And people were like, what? <clears throat> um, and she just rode that train all the way to Twitter headquarters. And she's just keeping it going. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm proud of her, honestly. She shows a lot of fortitude. Like, I was just watching the um, the time that she went to Congress to go yell about Twitter's Jack. And oh, how- yeah. I think, we, I think we even played that clip. That was when... Uh, whatever congressman from like Kentucky or Tennessee started doing his auctioneer thing. Yeah. He <laughs> yes. drowned her out with his auctioneer oh. voice. He was auctioning yeah. off her cell phone. But yeah, that, that was when she was just mad about not being verified, yes. <laughs> which was, was, which was pretty petty. You know, now she has her account just fully suspended. What was the inciting suspension event? I, I don't even recall. Um, well, I don't she's even been, think it was that good. It was what, what a no, disappointment. She's been she's been really upset about um, a couple of Muslims who were elected into a congressional oh, office up in um, Minnesota. I, man, I'm gonna have to look it up. I can't remember there. One of them is uh, oh, like Ilhan Omar. One, yeah, yeah, Ilhan Omar and uh, uh, also Rashida Tlaib. I think um, yeah. has also caught some of this. So. Um, talking oh, did you see about where how, her and uh, her and Ocasio Cortez like accidentally wore the same jacket or whatever? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, no, but L- Loomer's problem with uh, these two people and some other people was uh, that uh, basically this is this is creeping Sharia law. We're losing our American identity because these people are in office and they they support um, boycott, divest, and sanctions against uh, the state of Israel, which makes them anti Semites and like this is this is creeping like isis military junta like creeping into 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 your american neighborhood sort of stuff and finally they just booted her because it's it's all garbage yeah obviously. and it's all targeted harassment stuff so yeah yeah exactly i mean she has a, a big following and when you say stuff like that then it results in actual death threats and violence and um i don't know if uh i don't know if laura loomer actually believes her bullshit but She's got to know that grifting on 
a privately held platform um, and inciting racial violence is eventually going to get you kicked, you would hope? Well, she has to she has to understand that, like, you know, like on social media um, in general, like like the her fervor surrounding um, like just is her Islamophobia in general has gotten her kicked off of Uber and Lyft. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, that's right. Because she would she would order Uber and Lyft, and then if the driver was not white enough, she would like reject it and be like, "I refuse to." Like this guy's Muslim, and he's like, "No, I'm not," or whatever. And they're like, "Nope, nope." She's like, "Ah, too Muslim for me." And then they were like, "Okay, well, you just can't like stop ordering Ubers." Then. Right. Like, she literally it's just tweeted not work out at Lyft here. and at Uber, and was like, "Can you guys modify like your service so that I can figure out if I'm going to be in the car with a Muslim because I don't want that?" And they were like, "You're banned <laughs> from using our service now." Yep. Congratulations. Yeah, easy enough. Um, it's surprising that Uber, a uh, known bastion of progressive principles, right. uh, was was the first service to get rid of her. Um, yeah, she she's been in the news a couple more times since then. Um, notably, when she went on a a full scale Twitter meltdown about how she saw a, a Wi Fi network in her neighborhood that was called FBI surveillance van. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, and as the FBI surveillance that, vans do, that's <laughs> the law. That it was you have the to, government cracking yeah, you down have to name your Wi-Fi that when you're the FBI. That's just a rule, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, yeah, like, I think it's a it's a federal regulation. Actually, it, it, there's no there's no deception allowed in Wi-Fi network no. uh, pass. Uh, yeah. um, the FBI can't let you. But I literally like I'm I'm in an apartment right now, like through a series of events that were like arranged by Laura Loomer's hysterical freak out. Like, like I literally had to move because <laughs> one day she had a meltdown at my sister. Um, and it was because my sister made like a Twitter joke in the same vein as Randy about like, like spare acidrill in people's coffee or something. Sure. And um, Laura uh, uh, sent the FBI <laughs> um, to her house and um, like, she was on the front page of Breitbart uh, over this, like just because of a Twitter joke. Uh, and so was that the we, was we that had... the joke? It was the this putting my spare Esther deal in uh, like Starbucks in conservatives Starbucks. Yeah, um, yeah, it was awesome. Like Homeland Security showed up. Oh no, um, Jesus Christ! And and for something that was, it's so patently satirical. Yeah, um, it was just it was another Randy no joke. No such thing. There's no such thing as uh, spare estradiol. Correct. Right. Like, there's there's one where it's like, oh, you know, I love going to my job every day at the post office and, like, you know, shredding all the mail-in ballots from Republicans. Yeah. Like, right. Ha, 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 the original Randy. Which is like, of course, <laughs> of course yeah. no one does that. Uh, yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty great, though. But that actually, like, literally chaining yourself to a, a building because a website said, like, we don't want you to be racist on here anymore. That's not, you know, over the line. Though. Yeah, I we mean, don't want you sending game. your... We don't want you sending your hordes of fairly unhinged followers at at various individuals like uh, like Lauren, right? Um, please leave us alone. But okay, so like, well, that's... So, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, like one thing that I thought was the best part about watching Laura's quote unquote like political action today um was all of the things that she was doing wrong. Like so, as a paid protester, like that's my job. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but like, 
I mean, I'm an, I'm a political organizer. And so like I put, I, I've, I've assisted in, in organizing, um, civil disobedience. Um, and you know, like there are manuals that you can read about like best practices. Um, and it sort of seems like Laura has observed what political action looks like. Um, and what like, you know, like civil disobedience actions look like. And she's sort of like pantomiming what it is while like losing the things that make it effective. Like, like, yeah. So, so what, what, for example, um, like she, so there was like one part where, um, somebody was like, why aren't you handcuffed to both doorknobs? And she was like, because it's a fire security issue. (laughs) (laughs) And like, there was that part. That's fair. Like she was, she was standing outside of a door that's not often or heavily used at the end of a work day. Like she got there at like 3 PM. So it was like basically pretty close to COB anyway. Um, And then she was like, not really in the way. And she also wasn't inside of the building. And so it was up to like, it was up to Twitter as the occupant of the building to determine whether or not she was trespassing. And then like, if they wanted to, um, press charges on her for trespassing, but because she was outside rather than inside, which is where you're supposed to be, um, she, uh, she wasn't causing them enough of an inconvenience. And so they just ignored her. Like that's kind of half of what civil disobedience is all about is putting yourself in a situation where they can't ignore you, but you're not doing anything that's like, like causing harm to property or people. Right. Well, and the, the idea behind the civil disobedience is to get your message out there. Right. And to say, look, I'm drawing attention to this in a way that's like surprising and you know, possibly upsetting to people, but at least it gets them thinking about what you're protesting about, talking about it, having conversations with their thing. Like, I saw the craziest thing while I was out today of this lady talking about this. And, but her message is, I got banned from Twitter. And it's like, no one cares. Like, that's not a, like, that message isn't going to catch fire and be like a grassroots campaign to like get Laura Loomer back on Twitter. Like, that's just not going to, Happen. Right. Yeah. So. No. It's it's exactly like a it's like Luther, uh, Lawrence Southern uh, going down to Australia and t- trying to get people to say on camera like I think Lawrence Southern should be killed for her beliefs and everyone's like who the fuck is Lawrence Southern? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, I mean I think in her in her mind it was she'd have a bigger audience if she were out on the out on the sidewalk. But she, you're right. She didn't actually obstruct anything, so no. they were free to, they were free to do exactly what they did, which was, uh, we're not going to press charges. So she's welcome to stay there for as long as she right. wants. It's right. not going well, to actually if, affect anything. If you need if she numbers wanted to for start support. a protest. Yeah, if she wanted to start a protest that was like, Twitter sucks and they have bad policies. Like she could get probably like a lot of people sure. to come down and be with her and lead a huge protest about like <laughs> Twitter has bad policies. But that wasn't the um, ask. She just wants no, her, her verified check it was mark just back. All, it was just all about her, right? And it's just like no one's going to join the cause where she's like, get me back on Twitter. Like you're the only one that cares that much about that to, to go protest. So it, the, the whole thing is just a, a – I mean I guess it's a cry for attention and it's totally working, but um, – it just doesn't see. I guess the goal is to just get, you know, Laura Loomer's name out there and like, hey, that worked. But but 
well, where do you go from there? You know, it just is not a good... <laughs> it really did seem, though, like, in the in the close-up videos and when she was actually talking to people, like, there was, there was this genuine, like, you know, concern and, like, you know, a tinge of desperation in her voice and from her face where, like, this is what matters to her. Like, she needs her sure. Twitter back. This is her yeah. life and well, livelihood. It is true. I mean, she probably <clears throat> recognizes that, you know, people like Alex Jones and Milo and things, you know, once they got off these platforms it was harder for them to get their message heard oh sure you know? bill so o'reilly extremely yeah go to the more extreme uh you know circumstances to get out there but you can only do that so many times you know well and melly i i agree with you i was having a conversation with another uh twitter pal today about uh how inappropriate it was for her to wear the the yellow star of david on her jacket to com- to compare herself to a show a victim because she's been banned from Twitter. And I feel like she actually genuinely believes that. I think she's so self-centered that she really thinks that her being deplatformed for her speech has less to do with the content of the speech and more with her being her and she's being oppressed. And this is, you know, this is how the Holocaust started. People like is, is corporations cracking down on, on activists, free speech. I think she's genuine. It doesn't make it any less tasteless, but I agree with you. I think she actually believes this shit. Yeah. Um, and like, I mean, I, of course, like she, she reached for putting on like the star of David, like, um, as as a, a a mechanism and like you know like there's there's sparks of of like the ingenuity that it takes to actually create like a, a useful political action like like you do need to you need to push the envelope of like of like visually how you can like rope people in in order to sure. get them to there, want there to needs hear to be what you're emotional saying. yeah emotional resonance and um, for all they accuse the left of doing it, I mean, the right knows that using Holocaust imagery is exactly as effective on everybody. Right. Yeah, I, I think what what the what the far right movement forgets is that they kind of have this Trump like philosophy of like, hey, no press is bad press, right? If we're getting our message out there, it doesn't matter if it's you know if it's because people hate us because we're getting it out there. But they forget that like. Good press is good. It's better, right? It's better to yeah. have a positive message. It's better for people to hear about you and say, oh, that's interesting, instead of like, mm, that's really stupid. Um, they forget that part. Uh, and that's why it, it completely fails, because the, the whole thing is just so completely negative. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no positive message there. Yeah, and you see this well, at I'm- reproductive health clinics a lot. Like, like, you know, you've got people out there with, like, pictures of fetuses and stuff um, that are supposed to incite, like, this, like, you know, emotional response from people that are just trying to get to the doctor. Um, and, you know, one out of a hundred times, they might have somebody who wants to go talk to them instead because they actually do feel like a, a certain amount of internal guilt. And these people will effectively get to a very small fraction of people, but, like the vast majority of everybody else doesn't want to see that shit and they're getting mad. There are only so many like, you know, sad teenage girls who feel guilty. There are only so many like, you know, crazy political uncles who are willing to spend Thanksgiving alone. Like 
there are only so many of these like fringe group of people. Everybody else is going to be completely repulsed and annoyed and they don't want to hear it. Like, yeah. So, yeah, which is which is what happened to Laura Loomer because she's out there and people are walking by just yelling like, shut the fuck up at her. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was great. That made me really happy. Yeah. And so uh, like the, the last thing that happened that I saw was her standing there kind of forlorn, kind of forlorn. The crowd's all gone away, and she's using her her bullhorn to just play the pre-programmed uh, fur release um, while she's standing there, like trying to figure out how to hold her coffee and her sign at the same time. Um, it's uh, oh, yeah. I, there was there was there was pathos there. Well, I think maybe this is a, a great opportunity to 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 play a little clip of that and uh, and come back and, and talk about something that uh, is a little bit more. Uh, productive <laughs> <laughs> social media pages and simply because he was a conservative facebook banned him they banned his page he doesn't have limbs because he fought for our first amendment right overseas okay and then these social media companies have the power to tell a triple amputee veteran who fought and almost died so that we could have our constitutional freedoms that you don't get to be on social media you don't get to have a voice we're gonna shut you down and silence you because you're a conservative, even though you lost three limbs fighting for your country so that we could have our rights. Is this even the land of the free anymore? It's egregious that people like Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg have this much power that they're able to ruin people's lives like this and dictate whether a triple amputee who fought and served so that you and I could enjoy our freedoms and our rights gets to be on social media. It's disgusting. It is Isn't it ironic how the Twitter moment used to celebrate women, LGBTQ, and minorities is a picture of Ilhan Omar. Ilhan is pro-Sharia. Ilhan is pro-FGM. Under Sharia, homosexuals are oppressed and killed. Women are abused, oppressed, and forced to wear the hijab. Ilhan is anti-Jewish. So we talked about Laura Loomer a lot, and I wanted to juxtapose that with what has been going on at CNN with a, a journalist named Mark Lamont Hill. Are you guys familiar with him? I don't watch CNN, so I don't really I don't really follow these these personalities, but I do know that CNN has cut ties with Mark Lamont Hill over some comments that he made uh, over Palestine and Israel. And essentially what he said was, the U.S. government needs to stop supporting, to stop propping up an apartheid regime, and what we need is a, a free, democratic, bipartisan solution for everybody there, uh, from the river to the sea, which critics pounced on as being that's that's Hamas propaganda about eradicating the Israelis or eradicating all of the Jews in Israel, um, and therefore CNN cut ties with him, and. A, I don't think that's what he was saying at all. I think it's pretty clear from the context, from uh, all of his surrounding comments on this, and also any explanatory tweets that he made about it, that he really was advocating for what he said he was advocating for, a free, open, democratic, and humane government for everybody in, in the region that we know as Israel. And 
B, I wonder, one of the criticisms that you see uh, when somebody gets deplatformed from Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, um, CNN, any of these places is, well, they're a, a private enterprise. They have the, the right of free association to associate with whomever they want. And if they think it's a bad business decision and you see this bandied about on the kind of the liberal side and on the right, kind of going back and forth, forgetting that last time the the sides were reversed. I was curious what you two thought about. Is it incompatible to believe that a private entity can associate with whomever they want and that sometimes it's a bad decision to deplatform someone? There are lots of situations where you can tell because there's not a huge, this dude's not chaining himself to CNN and being like, I want my job back. Right. Like he's saying like, okay, like I think that's a terrible decision and I'm going to say that it's a terrible decision, but I respect that you can make this decision, right? I mean, I think that makes sense from most people's perspective. I think that's what irritates me about that discourse is that it goes back and forth and people get to call the other a hypocrite because, you know, where were you when... Uh, when like Milo uh, lost his book deal or something like that. But now you're going to be mad about the CNN journalist. And I think the way you thread that needle is you have some basic fucking moral standards about when you should platform or deplatform someone. I mean, ultimately, that's just going to be left up to the discretion of the platform itself. You know, trying to figure out whether or not you can have like a continuous ethical guideline to these things like the one big thing that creates that discrepancy is like we as as viewers and people who are participating in these like you know media discussions don't actually have any say in how those discussions are created it's up to the platform individually and basically the thing that is ultimately controlling them is what's going to be profitable right and so like there's no continuity that we can actually demand or enforce like you know this person has a good opinion they should continue to be on cnn well cnn is for the purpose of not informing people it's for the purpose of delivering a specific message for like on behalf of the corporations that fund it yeah sure and it's like you know it's the same for twitter <laughs> in cnn's case you have big military contractors uh, for example being sponsors of cnn so of course they're not going to be terribly interested in uh, like cutting ties with one of their largest markets for uh, exported weapons of war. Like having that discussion doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, especially when it comes to like, well, this person was deplatformed for their views where all the people on the right who were outraged about Milo or who were outraged about all of these other people. Like, you know, you'll have like one or two of those insane conservative people who don't think that people should be deplatformed under any circumstance that'll be like, yeah, we should just be able to yell at him directly. You can't really point out that there's like some sort of hypocritical, like one way or the other on it, because there's this thing that makes it um, impossible to like determine um, a solid ethical groundwork from which to like actually call out that hypocrisy. I think that's exactly right. As far as the, the ethics of deplatforming go, I don't know that the question really is more complicated than does the company think that this is going to make or lose them money? Right. I, I guess my, my point is that I don't think that it is actually hypocritical to acknowledge that corporations have that power and to sometimes celebrate somebody being deplatformed or 
otherwise being upset that somebody got deplatformed or uh, didn't get deplatformed. If you if you disagree, if you think that they're harmful for the discourse. Well, and literally no one actually believes all these platforms like Gab and things like that, that they're like, we're the free speech platform. Oh, yeah, no, that that free speech bullshit. No way. They don't believe that. Well, they don't because, you know, they don't want their platform to be like, hey, here's where you can hire a hitman or, you know, (laughs) you know, things like that. Like, that's not happening on those platforms. They're not allowing that. Well, I mean, except for all the all the child porn and sometimes illegal in the countries that they're being hosted in, like Nazi imagery and stuff. You know, it's not a popular opinion to say like, oh, even that stuff, you know, that that's free speech, too. Like no one is doing that. And that's when it matters. That's when this kind of public opinion, the fight for hearts and minds does come into play because you just want a situation where people don't use your platform if it's full of Nazis, right? The right, the other side wants it to be like, well, no one watches CNN or something because they're too liberal when they're actually not <laughs> liberal at all. It's a whole weird situation where I think they forget that they need to actually win people over to this view and that they've totally given up on doing that. And I think... The abortion debate's kind of the same way. I I feel like the conservative side, even though they have all this political power, you know, when Bush got elected, everyone said that, oh, he's totally going to get rid of Roe versus Wade because, you know, he's a hardcore Christian and all that stuff. And he didn't, they didn't even try. Yeah. They they just want to tear away from it piece by piece. I don't think they actually want to repeal it. You can make that argument that, uh, like, Bush didn't try, but then... We were still in, uh, for, for all of its many, many flaws and wrinkles and like deep abysses of human sorrow. Uh, I think in the, the Bush presidency, you still had some semblance of what like liberal pundits like to refer to as, uh, civility and political norms, uh, where you couldn't push so hard on such an issue. Yeah. But I don't think we're, I mean, obviously we're not in that era anymore. You have the Republicans stacking the courts as as much as possible in ways that uh, the Democrats are going like, well, that would just be uncivil if we tried to do Think of the backlash. It's like, you dumb motherfuckers, that's happening already right now. The Republicans have basically like tried to, they've spent like the past 45 years trying to figure out a way, like the whole point of, of almost every single Supreme Court appointment has been like, where are they actually going to fall on the abortion issue in terms of like how they're going to rule on on different issues and like the republicans had honestly um at the very beginning a very difficult time with these sorts of things like you know there were opportunities for roe versus wade to uh be overturned in the late 80s and like under hw bush there were opportunities for it and what you saw was like you know like sandra day o'connor was the person who was personally very pro-life um, but she refused to rule on something that would overturn uh, Roe versus Wade specifically because she didn't want to be the very first woman Supreme Court justice and also take away that and have that be her personal legacy. You know, there have been following decisions like since then where like, you know, Kennedy will waffle on it. In the Bush years, they didn't have the Supreme Court to bring that case to. You know, after they tried and failed so many times, they basically realized that the thing that they need to do is pack the court so that it definitely will make that decision because they can't keep bringing it up and having these waffling rulings that sort of like, you know, don't turn out exactly the way that they would expect with the justices that are in, in place. But I think that like now 
they have the Supreme Court that they want, and it's only going to become more so. <laughs> like, Right. They So they have the court, and also they've been running a parallel strategy of a legislative agenda at the state level right. that's a death by a thousand cuts. So every single little chip that they can get in that armor um, going after uh, – on the break, we were talking about – uh, how it's not really Roe v. Wade, it's it's uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood that they go right. after, which you know all about, Millie, please. Well, I mean, like, Planned Parenthood v. Casey was the the ruling um, specifically, which O'Connor, like, really let them down, because that was the case that determined that under Roe, in addition to abortion being legal, part of that ruling included, you, it can't just be legal, and there it also has to be accessible, Right, so, you like, can't throw up giant uh, like procedural obstacles right. to the right because then it's not a right anymore. That's what most people believe that it says, but th- they have what's called the undue burden standard. That was the Planned Parenthood v. Casey yes. thing. Yeah, that's the accessibility part. It's yeah. very unclear like what constitutes an undue burden. So they say like, hey, states can regulate abortion as long as it's not imposing an undue burden on the woman to try to who's trying to obtain an abortion that's where the supreme court has basically said like well what is really an undue burden maybe nothing counts as an undue burden no matter how onerous the requirements are which seems to be kind of where we're headed right and no we're there i mean we're already there well i mean it's been where we're headed since the bush years like this is this is the tactic that they took especially underneath the clinton administration especially after ginsburg's appointment the pro-life movement is sort of where we really see this like radical right um you know the formulations of of what would become the tea party and then what would become the alt-right later um and what now is just like open white supremacy they decided that they were going to start from a grassroots level and, you know, try and outlaw it in certain towns. And then they were going to try and like, you know, add restrictions to um, uh, reproductive health clinics about what they can and can't offer. And some really, some really absurd requirements, right? I mean, like a a rural health clinic being required to have like a full on time, like ER nurse or something like that, which is not a, not a thing that most clinics are going to be able to afford. Right. They have these regulations where you would have to be qualified as like an ambulatory surgical center or whatever, where it's like, well, we need to be ready at a moment's notice to like perform the most advanced surgeries, like known to human science or whatever. And it's like, well, that's not actually necessary because none of these procedures are remotely dangerous. No. And also most of them, most abortions as they, take place now aren't even like surgical procedures like most of them are taken in pill form it's two pills that you take you take one most states have a law most states with a bunch of trap laws have the law that you have to be in front of a doctor in order to take the first one the doctor has to give you the very first pill then you go home and you take the second pill at home there's a lot of like constriction around what you can do with that because you know hypothetically for something like an abortion pill um, if you if you realize that you're pregnant in the first couple of weeks, you don't really need to go see a doctor. You can just go see like a local clinic, get um, a pregnancy test, realize that that's the case, and then do telemedicine with an, an abortion approved OBGYN. Like you can call a clinic and they can prescribe you that medication. You can go to a pharmacy and pick it up and you can just do it the, the whole procedure by yourself at home. Right. And I think a lot of places now you can even just order it online. I mean, that, that seems like the, the way that it's, it's going. So I, I guess what, what I'm... I'm basically trying to say is like, it it feels to me like the right has really been 
successful in some ways in the appearance of or of regulating abortion and trying to get rid of abortion, but they're fighting a losing battle. No, they're not. You don't think so? No, I really don't. Like, these are the things that, like, keep me awake at night and terrify me. Like, like we we literally live in a world where, like, it's it, it doesn't matter anymore. The rules about, about, like, you know, if you were to overturn Roe versus Wade tomorrow, there are so many subsequent rulings surrounding it. It would just be a nightmare for the courts. That doesn't matter because they don't care. These people have been clinging to the idea for 45 years that, like, it's the greatest evil in the world. It's the number one thing that we have to get rid of. And I don't think that any number of trap laws or any number of laws that are going to like put barriers in between people from actually receiving abortive care are going to ever be enough because it's not going to be the one symbolic gesture. And these people aren't thinking rationally and they're not thinking legally. And they are an extremely dynamic, powerful force that has one simple demand, and it's the overturn of Roe versus Wade. And they have the court to do it. I'm with Melly on this one, Brendan. Um, I mean, we've seen it in the the devolution of what a Supreme Court nominee's confirmation hearing looks like, um, where basically because of the abortion issue, nobody's ever required to answer a single question on anything that they've ever ruled on. They use it as a, a trap door to appoint federal judges who are going to be the ones who are looking at say, a state regulation and saying like, no, this doesn't seem constitutional to me. And then they kick it up to the higher court. They've been back in the the appeals courts. This is a concentrated effort. So Melly, my my question for you is, say, the worst case scenario in terms of the the legality of abortive care happens in this country. What can we do to build community resiliency? I've, I've seen some amazing proposals for what we need to do like boats that would go into international waters and just run kind yeah of there a, already a, are a couple of them yeah. there's one that's just floating around ireland that's been functioning for like 35 years there's a there's a pretty cool like network um of people i mean it's tragic that they have to exist but like you know there's there's different resources globally for women and uh people who can become pregnant like have had a very long time to figure out uh, the ways that they need to get around, like, these restrictive laws. I mean, you'll end up seeing, like, drug smuggling, yeah. right? Oh, I mean, people absolutely. will be... You know, it's gonna it's gonna turn back into the 70s. Like, I'm in Arizona. People are just gonna go over the border again. Um, you're gonna see drug smuggling. Sure. You're gonna see, like, the, the abortion pill itself, uh, Mifeprestone, is, like, sometimes prescribed for digestive issues. So it's not like they're going to... Yeah, so you need to start recruiting doctors who are, you know, progressively minded and can do the thing that, I don't know, like medical marijuana prescribers had been doing for like 10 years now. I mean, historically, like before Roe, there was an intricate system um, in nearly every town in the United States of women who either knew how to perform procedures or um, had access to uh to doctors actually like one of the weirdest things about um so it's called the jane program like you'd go into like a hairdresser and you'd ask to see jane and they'd know what you wanted and one of the the biggest like early forms of a community grassroots like uh initiative to get women access to this form of care was (laughs) through churches doctors yeah like pastors in speaking to women who had, you know, had experiences happen to them in which they became pregnant, 
understood that like, you know, it's probably the best idea to get this person access to, to like some form of abortion care. There were doctors that would like secretly do it. Uh, like people knew what the procedure looked like. It wasn't really that ubiquitous. It's still not. There's like only a handful of doctors that can actually perform abortion procedures. But yeah, I, I have a feeling that it'll revert back to something like that. But And, and um, that's the argument that even if they do repeal Roe versus Wade, it's not going to stop abortions. Like if the goal is no course. abortions or less abortions, it, that's not the right way to do that. The right way to do that is give people access to birth control, give people access to fact-based sexual health education. Alleviate poverty. Poverty is a big indicator. Give people a way to say, I can have this child. I have the resources. I have the skills. I have the confidence to do this. There's so many ways that they could be trying to act on their stated goal. But you're right. They're not acting rationally in any no. way in this argument the the same people that stand outside of like reproductive health clinics and scream are the same people that are showing up when i'm like you know trying to persuade a school board to pass comprehensive sex education they're in the room and they're also screaming it's the same people right well and don't forget yeah. that this is a movement that in many instances has done bombings has done targeted assassinations of doctors who perform abortions i mean Oh, they're huge fans of the death penalty, too. Right. I mean, so I, th- this isn't – if they were truly, quote, pro-life, you probably wouldn't murder an abortion doctor. Um, that That's not a very pro-life thing to do. No, and you also wouldn't put a woman on death row for pursuing an abortion. Like, But that's the whole thing is that, like, reproductive justice advocates have – it's it's – an advocacy that, like, at its current moment is, like, very much on the defensive, and we have been since Roe v. Wade passed, but, like – there's a certain amount of like the the grounds on which the debate takes place is dictated entirely by uh, the the quote unquote pro life people, the anti abortion people, um, and so we you know fall into these patterns of like you know I'm pro choice and nobody really interrogates that or what it means. I'm pro abortion. Well, why? Um, and really, the thing that that antis are obsessed with isn't so much like abortion itself, even though that's the thing that gets them really frothy. Um, it's about controlling individual bodies. Um, this isn't a discussion about being in favor or against life. Um, and it's not about about the simple choice to have abortion alone. It's about the choice to be able to do with your body what you want to do. You know, that's something that's kind of escaped, like, you know, the common discourse surrounding abortion is that we forgot why this is so important it's it's about like what a a body that can that can bear children like how it can be utilized by outside forces how labor can be exploited from from people's bodies um how they can be impaired from like performing work how they can be not compensated enough for their labor those sorts of things this is really it's about um individual bodily autonomy and the economic ramifications of having like the full ability to control everything about your body which is why i almost like the term forced birth more right as, a, as an accurate description of like what their stated policy positions are yeah but uh i, I want to i want to point out uh, a recent uh, statistic that you don't hear very much so a couple months ago uh gallup's most recent survey overall 71 percent of people said that roe v wade should not be overturned including a majority of self-identified Republicans. Yes. 52% of Republicans surveyed said Roe v. Wade should not be overturned. 
Right. So if Republicans were to move forward with this policy, they would literally be going against a majority of their own political party and supporters, which is insanity. But it's still their stated policy position of the party. On that topic, I think we ought to give Millie the last word on the topic. What do you think is the best short-term, short-to-medium-term solution for what reproductive rights are facing right now? So on on the idea that, like, Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned, like, what does that actually look like? Is abortion immediately illegal? No, it's not. Um, There are only 12 states that have explicit laws that say that abortion should be illegal in all ways. Um, and those laws don't even immediately go into effect. They have to either be voted on by their own state legislatures, um, and then approved by the governor, or the governor actually has to sign off on that. Or they're just declaratory judgments that are, uh, there's no actual law there. It's just this, this is the case. It it has to be a law and they have to, it like, they have to, there has to be a decision and a signature that makes the law go back into effect. So basically like... The thing that I suggest is organizing on like a local level, um, trying to build up your community around reproductive justice and access to care. Um, obviously, like start mutual aid programs as fast as you can. We want to prevent these laws from going back into effect, either by trying to pass new legislation that says that like you can't make abortion illegal because it's going to be a state's rights thing. It's going to be an individual. It's going to go back to being like individual states either have to make it legal or illegal. Most of the states probably won't have a bunch of rulings on it, but Arizona will. Um, Indiana will. Uh, Mississippi definitely will. Ohio will. Ohio will. will. Texas will. All of these other places that are going to need, like, a great deal of help. I mean, even, like, city ordinances, passing things like that is going to be, you know, kind of the front lines for it. But, uh, you know, you you can do both. You need to do both the mutual aid aspect of making sure that people have access to care and also advocating for uh, for policy that will at least pro- provide some access to care. Yeah. Try to capture those offices as much as possible, I yeah. suppose. So, I mean, so much of this stuff does come down to almost hyper-local stuff. I mean, they have school boards. I mean, recently in Omaha, they had a big thing about trying to overhaul the like sex education yeah, curriculum via the public schools and things like that. So, yeah, I mean there there are there are ways that your local community, you know, is impacting this for you know people who live exactly where you are right now. It's it's not hard to like go to a meeting and be like, "Hey, I you know, I think we should use fact-based sex education." Like, "Hi, I have I have kids in the school. I live in this community." Uh, you know, that type of stuff is 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 easy to do. Yeah, if anybody listening to this actually wants some model policy to bring to a school board, like just give me a shout. I can help you out with that. I have model policy. Sweet. So. We will be providing your contact information in the show notes let's take a little break cool this has been this has been heavy yeah. let's try to take it out on a high note maybe <laughs> for sure <clears throat> abkadefki jekylman not course two which is i i beg your pardon big bird that's the word abkadefki jekylman not course two which is abka what where did you see that word right over there in oh, the yard oh in the yard sure oh, oh there yeah. oh that is some kind of word. Whoa! Abkadefki, Jekyllman, not course to Wixies. It's the most remarkable word I've ever seen. Abkadefki, Jekyllman, not course to Wixies. I wish I knew exactly what I mean. 
It starts out like an A word, as anyone can see. But somewhere in the middle, it gets awfully queer to me. Abkadefki, Jekyllmanopquist, who Wix is. If I ever find out just what this word can mean, I'll be the smartest bird the world has ever seen. It's that time. We are going to try to bring the, the episode out on a high note. No, everything's bad. Melly said that she didn't have a high note. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to start this high note on a low note. It's it's a fun exercise to, to try to think of some positive things. I know it's not the first things to come to Oh, mind. I got engaged. That's cool. <laughs> That's good. Gonna get yeah. married. That's kind of neat. That's pretty great. <laughs> Congratulations. That Thank seems you. pretty good. You and your betrothed became probably the most popular left Twitter people there for a day or so. Everyone was just gushing over you. Yeah, because we're adorable. Yeah, you deserve it. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. I, if I made that sound like a bad thing, I didn't mean to. No, it was <laughs> well deserved. Thank you. I just want to point out you went from having no high note to having a high note that completely blows any high notes that we were going to have out <laughs> of the water. You t- you've totally dominated this. this yeah, section. I guess I guess I'll wow. talk about this silly Texas news story now. <laughs> totally Thanks, won. Melly. Okay, Texas. Oh, you, you played us so hard. Congratulations, Melly, and also to we we won't we won't dox him on the program, but you're intended. He's also a, a really good guy. Yeah. As far as I can tell. Now you get to like uh plan a wedding and stuff. That's gonna be fun, right? Uh, we're not doing that. I'm we're <laughs> gonna find a courthouse at some point after legislative session. You gotta call a restaurant and like book a party room and so I mean there's stuff to do for sure. Yeah. I like that. I like spur of the moment, small ceremony, you know, civil wedding, and then a big party afterward. I actually had somebody point out to me, like, Melly, like, this is, uh, getting married is not the anarcho-feminist thing to do. And I was like, yeah, but I never want to file my own taxes again. So. (laughs) There's definite benefits. Yeah. I like that. I mean, it's a mercenary institution, so you may as well approach it like a mercenary. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I also entered into a union recently with a cat that I found on the street. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> We're also engaged to be in a house together. That's our engagement arrangement. And by you recently engaged in a union, you mean a cat was wandering by, noticed you for a mark, and took advantage of your, your good nature. To be fair, I will, I will place most of the blame... On the wife and kids who said, look at this adorable cat. It's so cold. But yeah, pretty much, yes, that is 1000% uh, what occurred. Oh, man. And I, I thought we were going to get into a debate before we started the segment. You said you wanted me to do my anti-cat shtick. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's really, it's it's adorable. You know, I like cats because you don't have to pay attention to them if you don't feel like it. <laughs> Unlike dogs who want you to pay attention to them all the time. That's exhausting. Like, give it a rest, <laughs> dogs. Sometimes just take a nap or something. Melly, you're a cat fan, aren't you? I'm like, I'm okay with cats. I'm fine. I love dogs. Dogs are my thing. Yeah. I'm obsessed with dogs. I have cats and dogs. It's raining cats and dogs over here. To be here. clear, that's that's much more my actual position is I'm okay with cats. I like dogs. Um, yeah, when pressed, I don't think that you should let cats inside of your house. They're disgusting. But. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah, well, sometimes they eat bugs, okay? That's true. They, they're, they're very helpful. efficient. Although, uh, yeah, my, my sister, they have this cat who is not declawed and is is a real killer. 
And so when they thought they heard a mouse in the in the garage the other day, they just put the cat out in the garage with the garage doors closed, thinking that Jesse would find and kill whatever it was. And they came back out, and she is just standing by the door, petrified, um, clearly having spotted something in the garage, but not knowing what to do with it because house cats are. I don't know. We've we've kind of delayed their development as predators by this point. Artificial selection is kind of a bitch. They kind of domesticated themselves. They kind of moved in with us. Unlike dogs, I think we domesticated because they could do certain jobs. And so now they have that kind of weird subservience. But it's nice in a pet to have them be able to understand human language. I mean, I feel like cats can understand human language. They just choose to disregard it. Yeah, there's people... Who like train their cats to like flush toilet and stuff like that? That's like, pretty that blows cool. My mind. I can barely have the patience to teach my human children to read. <laughs> I can't imagine the patience that it must take to train a cat to flush the toilet. <laughs> That's got to be insane. There are smarter ones too. I mean, we had a we had a house cat growing up that was amazing. It was also polydactyl, so it basically had opposable thumbs. If more cats were like Bailey. I'd be more into cats, I think. It's the debate that really gets me. I'm fine with cats. Cats are okay. Oh, I yeah. like dogs much better. <laughs> but when pressed, if I really have to take a side, like, cats can eat shit. I don't fucking care. I love dogs. Like, that's the... Everyone has to approach uh, any good faith debate uh, standing on the same, like, playing field. Like, philosophical rules agreed to. And cat and dog people, I think it's like, uh, like conservatives and leftists or something. Yeah. We're not even playing the same game. So, Brendan, congratulations on the cat. <laughs> a dog is like a marriage. A cat is like a casual a thing, houseplant. you know? It's like, yeah, it's like an, an ambulatory houseplant. <laughs> right. The cat feels the same way about you. You know, it could take or leave you, too. You're like, you know, this person's okay, but like, hey, if something better comes along, like, well, we'll see ya. Right, they're mercenaries. They don't give a shit. <laughs> That's my favorite cat fact, that uh, the meowing that we know from, from house cats is a behavior that you see in big cats, but only with their young. Um, it's like the baby talk. So literally your cat is walking around like, oh, are, are you going to feed me now? Oh, good boy. <laughs> You're so good. Oh, look at you. Yep. Constantly condescending to us. That's right. Well, plus there's that whole thing about like how cats give you like a brain fungus that makes you love cats. <laughs> that, or whatever. Right. That is that is a thing also. Yeah, I must have it because it, it worked. Good job, cats. You beat me. You out-evolutioned me, man. Like This is the Toxoplasma uh, podcast from here on out. Right. We're changing our name. <laughs> but Matt, what was your what was your high note? Bring us out. Well, Top yeah, the engagement. I mean, I, Do it. I, I just wanted to mention this uh, kind of silly <laughs> news story that, that was all over today in between a million other just bonkers things, like always. But uh, there was a... A woman who made a complaint against the, I think it's like Southwest California Airlines or something, but they were in... It was just Southwest. The Friendly Skies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, somewhere in the, the, the Dallas airport system, uh, made a complaint about a gate agent who had uh, been teasing her daughter, pointing her out to coworkers, everybody standing around laughing, posted a picture of her daughter's uh, boarding pass uh, on social media and it was all because her name her daughter's name is 
Absidy. Absidy. A B C D E. That's right. Absidy. Absidy. I yeah. they did they did pronounce it as obsidy on uh, NPR earlier, but who knows? Maybe they're just being snooty. Well, it's not a fucking word. Like, <laughs> yeah, is her middle name Hikopernovsker Skuvrasis? Yeah, exactly. No, we, we we had that we had that Sesame Street record growing up that was <laughs> Ernie that pronouncing the entire alphabet as one long word. Uh, and... that, excuse me. Uh, actually, that's Big Bird. Uh, pl- let's get it right, please. Are you sure? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. All right. It's okay. Bigger, it's a we're song. gonna we're gonna have to go to the tape on that. Maybe we'll we'll play a clip of it uh, as the outro. But <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it was Ernie. Anyway, the the joke is you know pronouncing the alphabet as as one long word, and that's what this five year old's name is is Absidy. This is one of those things that you that you see as like a old person email forward chain letter thing it is it's whatever. absolutely a forward from grandma except in that case it would be like racist it would be you know uh for whatever reason the the parent is coded as being black oh god uh in this case nope uh white as the driven snow um oh right like the orangelo and lamont that yeah i totally yeah, yeah, exactly. thought of that which is you know ladasha ladasha yeah yeah. Oh, classic, classic name gags. This is this is more like the uh, the meme of the like white Facebook mom who does like like Braylon and Kaylin um, with like multiple GH right. constructions. Um, just super white name. Um, Brax Dixon. That was a child that I signed up for a summer camp once when I worked at a museum for children. Oh my god. Um, there was literally, and there it was just Y's and X's all throughout the whole thing. That's Brax Dixon. That's that's one long name. It reminds me of uh, yeah. uh, Peekaboo Street, that like downhill skiing lady. Hey, at least she yeah. named herself. Who, right? Well, that's the thing. That was she the thing. named herself when she was like a child because her parents were like, "Yeah, you can pick your own name or whatever," and that's awesome. But like, it is, does seem a little bit weird to saddle your child with a, such an unusual name that people are obviously going to. No, like there's there's a reason that you did that. The reason is that people will notice that name and be like, "Oh, what a what a fun crazy name!" You know, that's that's very clever and wacky. But then to get all upset when people do that, like, like what did you think was going to happen when <laughs> when you did this? Right, right. you can't well, you can't assume that the world is going to be on the same whimsical page as you. It's a cruel and awful place out there. No, well, that's that's totally true. And also, also in the case of uh, Absidy, uh, she's going to have trouble with. Uh, uh, she's going to fill in like an online job application and people are just going to assume that she didn't know how to work her keyboard for one <laughs> she's field. Gonna, she's going to get like captured or whatever and be like, this is a robot band. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I was talking to a couple of people who were like, oh, people made fun of my name and they'd have like boring names like like Anthony. And then like, you know, my full name right. is Melanie and I like grew tits in third grade. And so I was called Melon Boobs for like most of my childhood. Like... <laughs> Right. Kids are cruel. So <laughs> They're gonna find weird ways. Kids to are do incredibly it. cruel, and rhyming isn't that hard. And basic wordplay is completely within the grasp of your average second right. grader. I mean, people call me Brandon all the time, but I don't really care. Matt, Matt, did your <laughs> Matthew? Did your name ever get made fun of? You, you have a pretty generic name. It's pretty unmake fun of. Yeah, no, mine's mine's too generic. I just got called down. I just got called Shorty. And they would pick me up in the lunch line mm-hmm. and turn around and say, pass down Shorty, and I'd get passed down to the end of the line. Let's make up a fifth grade insult nickname for you right now. I'm going to call you uh, Scat Chew. <laughs> Scat. <laughs> 
boom, roasted. roasted. You're done. <laughs> I'm done for. I'm d- I I got to log off now. Yeah. No, it's a it's a universal thing, you know. It, it, she's probably should just get used to it, you know. And that it doesn't seem like they were being particularly mean. They were just saying like, "What a crazy name," which is like isn't that what you wanted right, right. from this name? Just because you named your child something doesn't mean that the world is going to like just bend to like what you want to be normal. Like... <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and there was there was that take that uh, used some recording of the mother saying like, and she asked me, why are people making fun of me? And I, I said, you know, sometimes people aren't always nice and it's unfortunate, but it is the way it is. And somebody uh, had posted that with like, she asked me, why are people making fun of my name? It's like, well, sometimes your parent is just a dipshit who gives you a name that is always going to get you made fun of. And that's just the way it is. And it's really unfortunate. I mean, I swear to God, this lady like named her child so that she could be aggrieved on YouTube later. Uh, absolutely. That's a good play. 100%. That's a good play. Yep. Yeah, I felt bad because like I named my kids names that were like happened to be very popular. And, you know, I kind of bummed out because now they have to be like getting their last initial in class and stuff. You know, that's that's never that's never fun, you know. So we all make mistakes in names and you just got to roll with it. You know, you just got to say, hey, it's just part yeah. of life. You know, in uh, in in communist Sweden, I, I remember there was a, a news article. They actually have oh, like a name like a naming, panel or whatever, like a naming court or something that gets to make decisions on this. Where somebody tried to name their kid, it was it was some unpronounceable string of consonants with like a number sign and <laughs> uh, like an exclamation point in there or something. And they said it was pronounced like Bork or something. And the Swedish courts were like, no. Well, no, we're not going to let you. Do yeah, that in France, can. you actually have to go through. Um, you submit your child's name, and it has to be approved and signed off on by a prosecutor. Like nobody ever really challenges them, but still, like the state has some involvement with what you can actually name a person, which I right. think is really shitty. But like basically, like social Darwinism is always racist and bad, except for in the one situation where white ladies are trying to name their children stupid shit. <laughs> <laughs> And like, <laughs> that's what I'm yeah. saying. You know, there's there's a happy balance to strike, I think, between complete naming libertarianism and extreme authoritarianism, like in North Korea, where you have to pick from a designated list of like 15 kids' names. Is that know. real? I don't think that's real. I feel like that's like one of those things that people say. But <laughs> I'm, that, that be, might be propaganda. Be but I'm just saying, there's a happy balance to strike where you know. White people need to be saved from themselves on this because it is getting out of hand. Yes, we need to relentlessly mock these people until they stop. But, you know, (laughs) know, there's more name diversity than ever. And you're right. Maybe name diversity has gone too far. We need a government (laughs) crackdown on this. Let's institute name panels. This is what... Hillary should run uh-huh. on in 2020. No, that's the opposite yeah. of what no, I'm saying. I'm all in. I'm all in on it. <laughs> Melly does not co-sign this. I'm saying that socio-cultural <laughs> shaming is going to be very effective in this process. We need to just... <laughs> we don't need to formulate an actual yeah. like panel. We can just yell at people until they stop. Well, I just want education so that, you know, maybe you go to like a, you know, Lamaze class and then they just kind of talk through like, hey, you know, choosing a name is important and maybe you should think about it for more than 30 seconds, you know? <laughs> yeah, I want those same people in tattoo parlors, though. Um, I'm... I'm I'm tired of seeing those sad, unfortunate Tweety Bird tattoos. 
There was a Tweety Bird tattoo in the episode of Sex and the City that I was watching last night that was very weird. But did Donald Trump have it? Was it like on his, <laughs> his, his, his on his back? Yeah, like um. So she's she's trying to figure out why all men are weird. She like goes out with a rich guy who steals a book and she's freaked out by it. Another guy asks to see her feet and she's freaked out by it. And then she meets a seemingly normal dude and he's an opinion writer. And I'm like, whoa, that's a huge red flag. And she's, she's trying to figure out, like, what's wrong with him. And he's like, I have a Tweety Bird tattoo on my shoulder. And I'm like, he's an opinion writer with a Tweety Bird tattoo. Do not date this person. Yeah. I mean, I just have to assume that they got it in, like, 1992 when it was, like, the height of, like, urban coolness to have the Looney Tunes characters, like, wearing bandanas or whatever. Mm. I'm 1982 was uh, Looney Tunes characters wearing, like, yeah. denim jackets and, like, backward Hells leather ball the, caps. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and like iron on patches that you would put onto your backpack. Yeah, no, th- they're just, just planning for the long game because it's coming back around, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, when did those go out of style? <laughs> yeah, it's vaporwave now, baby. I, I like the right. ones I like the ones that are just held on with safety pins. That's kind of more my style. Well, if you need to shame us for our tattoos, our opinions or really anything else uh we've been liquid yeah. flannel or look forward to us becoming a a space jam 2 podcast <laughs> we could do that we've we've watched bad movies before space jam is a great movie what the hell <laughs> no space jam 2 the the jury's still out until it actually is released i think uh no it's bad <laughs> all right well we'll be we'll be taking bets on that on our twitter at liquid underscore flannel we're delighted on this episode to have been joined by melly yeah thanks for having me on guys thank you this was fun where can people find you online i'm on twitter at apona west that's e-p-o-n-a w-e-s-t it's an extremely good follow is it because you love zelda no actually that's not what it is what is it? Do we get the do we get the secret before we? Let you go? Um, yeah. So like one of my sons picked it up because oh, I got banned cool. um, by, by Nazis, and it's because like my last name in Scottish means something about horses, and he like looked up like what a Scottish goddess of a horse is, and that's the goddess Epona, which is what the Zelda character horse is named after. Um, and then I live out west, nice. so that's where it came from. I think it's yeah. cute. OG. OG. <laughs> Zelda stole it from you, man. That's right. Yeah, copyright that shit. Yeah. Sue, sue Nintendo. Dude, <laughs> totally do it. Hakuna Matata them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been delighted to have you with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Uh, Brendan Williams. I'm online at Brendan Williams with one L. And uh, I'm gonna be gone next week, so we'll see. Uh, maybe we'll take a week off. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, no, you're so you're you're going out of town. It sounds like a fun trip. Uh, instead of doing a liquid flannel episode next week, I'm gonna go rejoin our friends over at the Cold Pizza Party podcast. Oh yes, and we're going to do some commentary on the Hallmark Christmas film, The Spirit of Christmas, which is about oh, I'm a, excited. Which is about an overworked young attorney who has to sell a haunted inn uh, over Christmas. And the the inn is haunted by a really um, just total beefcake um, who, for some reason, comes back to life for exactly 12 days every Christmas. It's a beautiful tale, um, well told, as are all made-for-TV films. So, um, yeah, tune in for that. I'm Matthew Hodges. I am at Matthew Goit with a W. I'll be tweeting about the spirit of christmas <laughs> in more ways than one <laughs> in, yes it's tis the season so 
thank you, Melly. Thank you, Brendan. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. It was a lot of fun. We'll see you uh, in two weeks, I guess. Whee!